Every year, my family enjoys the great tradition of going to Bass Pro Shop to get a picture with Santa Claus. Do you think this is an ad for Bass Pro Shop? It's not. Because this year, Santa Claus is behind plexiglass. Do you know why Santa Claus is behind plexiglass? It's because he's afraid of catching coronavirus from you and your children. Do you know where else Santa Claus isn't going to go because he's so afraid of catching coronavirus from you and your children? He's not coming down your chimney to deliver gifts to you. Santa Claus has abandoned you. There is no Christmas. Unless you go to missional wear. Missional wear has all the Christmas presents a Christian could ever want. There's t-shirts with theologians, mugs with theology quotes, statues of Charles Spurgeon, journals, totes, cutting boards, Bible covers, portfolio covers, mouse pads, cigar holders, and more. Santa Claus may have abandoned you, but missional wear's got your back. So even though John Calvin would say that everyone's on the naughty list, you should still get them a gift from missionalware.com. Hey, look, this is Nathan from South Mississippi. Look, if you had one shot or one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted in one moment, would you capture it or would you let it slip? <laughs> I guess my question is, do you think that you have done everything you wanted to do? Have you seized everything that you wanted to do with your filmmaking, with the success of your two movies? Do you feel that there's something else you would like to do? Thanks, brother. This just triggered this cascade of thoughts and memories. So, James White recently referred to uh, this silly video that somebody made where Paula White is uh, quote-unquote preaching uh, in this sort of rap cadence, and somebody mixed it with Without Me by Eminem. Uh, this, and then there's a cat bobbing his head in the video. Look it up. It's pretty, it's pretty great. But James White referred to it, which made me have this weird feeling that James White has ever heard Eminem. So bear with me. So that reminded me of... The fact that back in 2016, remember when that uh, that it was sort of a video, but it was of Donald Trump who was in a uh, bus or trailer or whatever doing an interview with somebody and his his audio was being captured and it was later used against him uh, where he said some like really inappropriate things about um, what he could do to women. Uh, I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. So he used some, but he used some, some words that were pretty dirty and I remember hearing James White refer to that. I mean, he obviously didn't use the words or anything, but he referred to the incident. And that brought about this really disturbing feeling in me that now I knew that James White had heard that filthy word come out of Donald Trump's mouth. Uh, And it was like his innocent ears had been defiled by this dirty orange man. So uh, pray for James White's ears. I'm sorry that had nothing to do with your question. You just made this re- that reference to Eminem, and I had to share the synapse connections that were happening in my brain. But yes, I do want to make more movies. I got more ideas rattling around in the old noggin. And, uh, you know, obviously the Lord has been very kind to me, and my, uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ who've sort of— um, who've just sort of come behind me and, and really helped and supported me in, uh, in making the, the, the films I've made, uh, the podcasts that I've made, um, the support's awesome. And that just, just so everybody, you know, keeps this in mind, the social media landscape is becoming more and more hellish and awful, especially for conservative ideas, but even more for, uh, uh, conservative Christian ideas. Uh, And so it's going to become more and more important that if you want to see the kinds of media uh, and just the kinds of ideas expressed, uh, opinions expressed that are, that are biblical at at all, um, it's going to be more and more the responsibility of us ourselves to really promote this stuff. Like we got to get behind the people that we want to succeed and maybe maybe even uh, defund those people that we don't want to succeed. That's what a free market looks like. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm canceling Netflix this month. I should have done it a long time ago, but, um, but it's time. And, 
uh, like Twitter and Facebook, they're throttling everything. So like if I do another Kickstarter for a movie, I'm, I'm really worried about how well, how much traction they're going to get. Um, unless people just say, Hey, um, this stuff isn't going to organically grow. So I'm going to make it grow, uh, with, you know, with my own voice and share it like crazy. Uh, so yeah, uh, I, I want to make more stuff. I don't know what the landscape looks like, but you know, I've always been one of those fly by to the seat of my pants, trust the providence of the Lord, mainly because I don't have much business sense and I really don't know how to, how to, uh, make this stuff, uh, work on my own. And the Lord, uh, is, is kind to me. And speaking of supporting your favorite Christian media, Uncle Les needs some of your voicemails. Call 772-324-9328. Leave some wacky voicemails, and I'll interact with them at the beginning of the show. 772-324-9328. And also, uh, leave a five-star review on, I keep saying iTunes, but it's Apple Podcasts now. So leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It uh, is at least as far as their religion section or whatever, uh, it will help it become, you know, towards the top of the new release section, which is helpful for podcasts in these early stages, these first few weeks. Uh, it's really important. So uh, please do that. Head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. Today on the show, we're talking about the center itself of the gospel, the person and work of Christ. Who is Jesus? What has he done? And why is it important for us? All that and more today on Gospel Riot. Welcome to Gospel Riot. I'm Les Lanfear. Joining me on the show today, he's an author, he's a pastor up in Canada, the second Canadian in as many weeks. His name is Mark Jones. Thanks for joining me, Mark. Thanks so much for having me. I look forward to chatting with you. You know, your book, Knowing Christ, is, is it, would you say that's the book that you're the most well-known for right now? Yeah, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I, um, you know, Puritan theology kind of got things moving. Yeah. And then Knowing Christ, uh, and then after that, you know, different types of books. It depends on the, the person, you know, like antinomianism hit a certain yes. type of person. And uh, God Is has been really... Um, encouraging in, in the reception of that. But yeah, I think Knowing Christ is sort of like my favorite, the, the one book I would take to heaven with me, if you know what I'm saying. Wow. Uh, and then and just compare notes. If, I, if I got most of it right. <laughs> yes. That's excellent. Um, so J.I. Packer did the the foreword for that too, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. He actually, the, the cool story behind that is I asked him for a commendation in the book and then I got a letter in my mail one day as I was sitting at a computer and, and it was a, a, like, you know, an envelope and from J Mr. James Packer. Uh, wow. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And it was actually a forward. He says, you know, I just read the book and as it were, a forward tumbled out uh, and it's yours if you want it. And I thought, well, you know, it's a, I, I'm, a I'm a bit offended that you would take, uh, you know, the liberty to write a forward, uh, Mr. <laughs> Packer, but I suppose I'll, I'll allow it on this occasion. What, what's the big deal about J.I. Packer? I don't know. I see his name on a lot of books, uh, but whether he uh, ever existed is, a, is another question. Um, but no, he, 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 was, uh, he, was, uh, he was, he's a delightful fella. In fact, he's, he's a very funny guy and um, I've spent quite a bit of time with him and he's actually quite a chatterbox. I mean, he is, he's with the Lord now, but when, yeah. uh, you know, when you spend time with him, you never felt like you were um, taking up his time. He, he genuinely liked to just talk about things. So uh, m many people just think of this maybe British austere scholar, but he was far from that. I, I almost corrected you because you were saying he is, he is, he is. And I was almost going to say, well, he, he was, are, are you, I'm just curious. Are you doing that? Is that like a purposeful thing that you still refer to him as, as is? No, no. It's just like with his death this past year, it's, I got to remember to switch to the, the was, and then it's kind of a bit, um, you know, but he definitely is in a, in a different sense. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I thought that may be like a theological thing you do on purpose. No, I'm not that. <laughs> But anyway, your book, uh, I, my other podcast, the Reform Pubcast, we had you on, and it was one of our one of our really uh, popular episodes because you know we know that Jesus is so important to our faith, but some of the 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 details that you get into that really make you think uh, it's 
it's just it's just fantastic stuff. And uh, my my pastor J C Cunningham, you you've met him, and uh, yeah, yeah, great guy, great guy, yeah. Yeah, he uh he he his he as soon as he listened to that episode, he he would always and we we went through your book in a in a book study at church. But um he would he he loved to use that uh that idea that you pointed out and emphasized that when we see Christ, uh we will be changed and you were using it sort of as a way to talk about images of Christ and um how they're, you know, they they're just they f- fail in comparison to what what we're actually uh, looking forward to when we do see Christ, which is just, just such a great, a great thing to think about. Yeah. Um, well, so I have you here because you, uh, you, this is a subject you're just so good on. And I've talked a little bit um, so far on the show. We had an episode about the nature of man uh, in different States and all that. Um, but obviously we don't look to ourselves when we're talking about the gospel, and this show really is trying to emphasize and encourage people to be better at knowing the gospel, for sharing it with others, and for themselves. And the person and work of Christ is this, the centerpiece of all of this. It's it's really what the whole gospel is. Um, so, could, could you help me out with um, that phraseology, the person and work of Christ? Why is Why do we say it that way, and why is that important? Well, I think before he can do any work, there, there, you know, there's an ontological necessity that there's a person. So that just means he he exists before he does, and I mean, and that's a that's pretty basic in a sense of just um, how people can understand. But it's also a theological um, conception in terms of you know you look at the book of Hebrews, right? And and what do you notice at the beginning? There's a lot of emphasis upon who he is, and then it moves to what he does. And I think. Uh, other places in in John's gospel, you know, there's a there's a big emphasis at the beginning on who he is, um, and then it, it moves to what he does. So it's a pattern I think you'd see in the scriptures, right? Like it's um, uh, who is he, and then when you know who he is, it, it informs everything about what he does, and and then what he does reinforces back to who he is. So person and work, it's sort of an organic connection where you know the person is doing the work, and then the work reinforces who this person is so I, I that's how I like to think of it I'm not sure what 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 your initial impressions are when you kind of go to the scriptures what you think about that that order yeah well I mean I I think that a lot of people it seems um you, you there's an emphasis on his work obviously and you know this is why I'm saved Jesus died on the cross for my sins um and may, maybe it's just not so emphasized sometimes that uh that we're talking about a person and actually who he is is it what he did flows out of who he is. I mean, that's that's exactly what you're saying too. So yeah, yeah. So when you find yourself in an opportunity where you're able to share the gospel with somebody, like a cold call sort of situation where you just you, you just met them or whatever, uh, where do you start? Yeah, that's uh, that's a that's a great question because I don't actually have a, a, a sort of starting points for, okay. for me. Uh, now, I mean, obviously, in a sense, we, we have starting points, we have basic ideas and, and concepts we use. But, you know, a lot of times it's it's just how it flows out of a conversation without being forced. So it's, it comes back to my method of evangelism. You know, I talk to a guy on uh, WhatsApp who's a, a soccer friend, and every now and then we have a chance to just talk about the gospel because he'll bring it up or say something. And, and I'm sort of usually responding a lot of times to people's comments rather than being the initiator with, hey, you know, this is something I want you to hear. So a lot of times it's a response. And and for me, the, the main thing I like to try and get to is the resurrection. And because uh, that's just such a, a crazy idea in a sense that um, someone was raised from the dead. Yeah. We can say a lot of things about what Jesus may have said and done. And the, the fact is, is people may even say, yeah, I believe he died on a cross. But once you talk about the resurrection, all of a sudden you're, you're kind of zeroing in on the fundamental claim of Christianity. Mm. Um, so that's, that's for me. And, and who is it that has been raised and, and why? And, and, and so that's the, that's the, and you know, what's interesting actually is if you read uh, C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, there's, there's nothing on the resurrection. Uh, which is, you know, it's a great book. It's full of insights and, and stuff. But for mere Christianity, it's kind of shocking that there's no resurrection. Wow. So I don't know if, you, don't know if you'd, you'd picked up on that before when, when reading that book. 
No, I never thought about that. I mean, it, it's and it's so central. Like you know, you're, just, you're mentioning it as as sort of like the way that you do it, but that's that is the apostolic way to go, right? Like they, they were always talking about the resurrection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a sort of. I don't like to. Uh, you know, it, it's maybe it's because I live in Canada, but. I, I spend a lot of time in the community with my soccer coaching and, and, and all of that. And, and a lot of times I'm waiting for people to just make a comment before jumping in. But the, the resurrection is kind of a, a thing where I want them to, to explain maybe why it didn't happen. And I can have a chance to explain why I think it had to have happened. Um, but yeah, I, there's, there's other entry points, of course. Um, heaven uh, is people do like to talk about heaven. Uh, how, who is there? How do you get there? Those types of things. Uh, um, And then there's the usual um, sin and misery approach, but um, yeah, I haven't had as much success with that, that line of approach as I have with making claims about Christ. Interesting. Yeah. When you say the sin and misery approach, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, just sort of, you know, trying to prove someone there that they're a sinner by listing the 10 commandments, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they may even acknowledge that to an extent, or they may see it and go, okay, well, I still don't see the big deal. Um, and, and that's, you know, sin is, a, I'm actually writing a book called Knowing Sin right now. And, wow. and most people don't really care in a sense like that they are imperfect. Uh, now, of course, if you zero in more on, on, you know, lustful thoughts or things like that, then they, they may say, okay, but, you know, the next guy does too. But claims about Christ kind of makes the sin question then like important. But if you don't have Christ in that that whole equation, well, who cares whether you're a sinner or not? Uh, mm. In a sense, and if God doesn't care, um, it doesn't matter then what I think or how I act or feel in in my actions. I, but maybe in America, I don't know where you are. How you if you usually approach it with the sin and misery sort of approach or the you know you've heard of Ray Comfort, right? His way yeah. of doing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think I do it exactly like Ray Comfort, but there is. I think it's similar in the sense that um, I'm tr- like the I, I kind of go through a problem solution um, and then responsibility. So you know what what is wrong with you and what is the solution to that problem, and not not only what's wrong with you, but what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with you know everything. Why do you feel a sense of injustice and bad things, and then the solution to that, and then the the call, you know, the actual call to repent. Yeah. Well, we're all different. You know, we all have different contexts. Some people are kind of apologists. Some people are evangelists. Some people are, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor who's a guy mm-hmm. in a community and, and I, you know, I don't necessarily go around telling everyone, you know, this is your, your problem, but I will yeah. um, be unashamedly willing to talk about claims about who Christ is. Cause that's really a, a big comfort zone for me to, to, to talk about those things. So, sure. um, I guess that just brings us all back to, you know, you got to do what you're good at and do it yeah. well. Yeah, that's great. So uh, when we do talk about uh, who Christ is, um, wh- what would you say are some of the things that you see Christians getting wrong a lot? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, Desiring God just had me write an article on, um, you know, common misconceptions about uh, Christ. And uh, so it's, it's a bit fresh in my head, at least. And again, I'm, I'm speaking personally with regards to my own, uh, what I hear from Christians, uh, well-meaning Christians. Uh, one of the big things, actually, that surprises me is is the fact that he's still fully God and fully man in heaven now. Yes. You know, a lot of times it's like he goes back to being God or what's the point of his humanity. And and I actually stress fundamentally that his humanity is, is everything to us. And it is, as uh, Herman Baving said, it is as important as his divinity in terms of who we are in our salvation one is as important as the other in terms of the two natures. Mm. And that's a quite a striking claim to make, but um, you know, everything about our eternal heavenly existence will be, you know, understood in terms of our humanity and also his humanity. So uh, that's a, that's a big thing that I like to, to zero in on with Christians um, for non-Christians. It's not so much, you know, they, it's, that's more like a, a mysterious thought. Okay. You know, I'll, I'll listen to you, but, um, and then the other thing is, is coming back to his humanity was was like what it really meant for him to be truly human when he was on earth and, and what that meant in terms of his feelings, emotions, 
So when you read that, I don't know if you've read that um, essay by Warfield, The Emotional Life of Our Lord. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the best essays I've ever read um, on theology. And um, he just looks at the emo- the various emotions of Christ from the from his human perspective, and it's just uh, it's just delightful stuff. So, are these the kinds of things? Uh, I, I guess, like, what what do you think are the most important aspects of the person of Jesus that you'd want someone to understand who's for the first time really starting to grasp the gospel? Yeah, that's. I mean. <laughs> I think there's a balance, you know, that, that people naturally um, want to hear about the love of God and the, and the love of Christ. And, and I, I, I think we undersell that in a sense, like we say it, but then we kind of want to, we, we're very blasé or bland about it. Like I want to really zero in on what does it mean for him to love us and, and, mm. and the depths of his human love as well as de- his divine love for us and, and what that means. So, you know, one of the central claims I think that gives Christianity such a powerful apologetic is, um, you know, in terms of suffering in this world, you know, what religion can you look to and say, well, God understands, you know, we can't point a finger at the Christian, the triune God and say, well, you don't know. Um, He sent his son into the world who actually suffered and went through every conceivable type of suffering so that his compassion towards us is actually based upon a previous experience of going through that. And, you know, what can a, a Muslim can't speak like that, a, a Hindu can't speak like that, a Sikh, a, you know, and, and so on. So um, that's really, for me, a, a crucial apologetic is, is the, the love of Christ and what that actually meant. And mm. I don't know about you, but I think Jesus as a, a warrior um, the, the book of Revelation, Jesus, is is just non-existent in evangelicalism today. You know, his wrath against his enemies, um, his defeating of, of the principalities of this world and crushing them under his feet. And and the Jesus of the Old Testament as, a, as perhaps the destroying angel in places like that is definitely a, a, a not spoken of. But maybe you hear about it a lot. I don't know. I what are your perceptions about that type of, or that aspect of Christ's life? How do you feel when you hear about Jesus as a divine warrior? You know, what would you say is that your initial gut reaction to him destroying his enemies? Yeah. I mean, I guess as a Christian, I, it's, I mean, it makes me, uh, it's, it's that sort of testosterone, like, yes, like my King is gonna, is gonna just, you know, is gonna conquer. Um, so that's exciting. Um, but is that, is that useful to, um, to communicate to unbelievers? Do you think? I think so. Uh, because it's true, you know, and I think anything that's true and and, and from God's word is useful as as long as you're able to, to also, uh, you know, talk about the lion and the lamb, you know, he is the lion who who Mm -hmm. will destroy and devour his enemies, but he's the lamb who was slain from the foundation, you know, so it's, it's not, I don't think we can ever say, maybe we can be imbalanced, Mm -hmm. but my, I guess my point in answering or talking about this with you is, is that the the balance definitely isn't in the sort of, oh, he's, he's crushing his enemies. I mean, I just don't hear much of it. So I'm just asking for a little more balance uh, where the Jesus of revelation, for example, or the Jesus of the Old Testament and the Christophanies is is actually part of our conception of him. He's not a pushover. Yes. Um, yeah. And he yeah. will destroy his enemies, right? Yeah, I was having a conversation with this uh, this girl recently, some, someone who my, my wife used to be really good friends with, and they've sort of fallen away. It was this obviously an awful Facebook back and forth, but... She was, t- she was nominal Christian, at least, and she was basically supporting the idea of, of abortion for certain circumstances and um, how you shouldn't, you know, shut down Planned Parenthood because they give lots of good services. And we got into a discussion, and, you know, I'm trying to help them understand that, you know, this, this God hates murder, hates the murder of uh, the innocent uh, mm-hmm. more than more than any kind of murder, obviously. And that's, that's exactly what we're talking about. And, uh, they just really, uh, it was multiple, they're all ladies, multiple people just getting very offended by the idea that I was talking about repentance and, you know, that we had to turn away, but they kept saying that Jesus loves everyone. And then they were basically sending me to hell because I was using language like, 
repent and you know so i was the only enemy so so in their view basically jesus loves everybody except the people who have the word repent in their vocabulary which what a disaster of of a a christian outlook yeah yeah no that's uh well that's that that sounds like things are worse in america than even canada but um i know that's not the case huh what do you mean by that? Well, you know, it, in a sense, maybe it's worse here because, I mean, at least people care enough to excommunicate you. Okay. <laughs> you know, okay. it's like, okay, I'm, I care enough to tell you you're not um, part of the, the, the true Christian brotherhood or sisterhood and, and so on. But, you know, here it's like, well, you know, okay, uh, whatever. Uh, you, you know, getting people fired up about anything is, is even hard on a, a religious uh, discussion. Um, there, there's still some, but I think a lot of times it's just, yeah, you know, you do what you want to do. We do, we do what we want to do, but nobody cares enough. That's why, you, you know, if, if you really want to fight, you know, you need to go to social media and find, you know, people who are willing to, to cross swords. But wow. in just general conversation, I don't see much fighting. That's interesting. It's interesting. It's interesting to hear different perspectives because like I lament how many arguments I get on or get into on on facebook i i it's 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 like unfortunate but at the end of the day those are you're you're right those are those are the passionate discussions i'm because i'm not having those discussions every day with normal people you know in my day-to-day life so uh it's a good a good perspective to keep in mind and obviously gotta have that balance of not being a jerk and being gracious and all that so when we talk about the the work of christ um what should we really be emphasizing when we talk about the work of Jesus? Yeah, I think what 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 is he actually doing now? You know, what what is he mm. just waiting around? Is there anything happening in heaven that's of any importance? Um, you know, what is what is he actually doing? Uh, those are those are important questions to me. You know, his even just matters for Christians. His intercession and and what is he what is he attempting to accomplish? Uh, what is his end goal for us? Um, you know, so uh, one of the things that I, I've, I've got an article again with Desiring God coming up in January, and, and I said, and the basic thesis is nobody loves themselves more than Jesus. And so my basic idea is that he has the greatest amount of true self-love, holy self-love for himself. And that fleshes itself out, pardon the pun, but it fleshes itself out in terms of what is he trying to do for his people? He's actually trying to glorify us and going to glorify us, sanctify us, and, and they're basically synonymous in certain places in the New Testament. But he's he's there by loving himself, the more blessing he shows towards us on earth because um, he who loves his wife loves himself, and we are his bride. So mm. I like to, to talk about, you know, what is he currently doing? Um, not to make it sort of some past action that he did and that we're only looking back, but what are we, who are we looking to now and who are we looking to in the future as well as the past? Sort of like the Lord's Supper is really good for that. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not just a sort of looking back, but it's looking up and it's looking to what will one day be a, a more visible reality among God's people. And uh, that's how I like to think about the work of Christ um, in discussions with people. That is so interesting because that's not, that's not where my mind goes at all. You know, it's all about atonement and about um, what, what he has done in the past. I don't even, I, I, I mention a little bit of, you know, he's, he's at the right hand of the father. He's interceding for his people. Um, but that's certainly not my focus. That's very interesting. Well, think about the, the the existential sort of trigger this is for people where you, you you're talking on the present. You know, we mentioned about J.I. Packer, right? Is 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 earlier, which is is actually brings up the 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 point I'm trying to make right now is I'm talking about Jesus is 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 what who is he now? What is he doing as as a living being? Uh, and that sort of is I think jarring for people to think, Oh, wait a minute. You know, this guy who lived all those years ago, this is not some sort of remembrance day mm. it is uh, today. Remember saying in Canada, but it's, it's, it's looking to constantly. And that's what the book of Hebrews implores us to do, you know, to continue to keep on looking to who he is. But that's, that's, I mean, these are just, these are my personal sort of uh, vantage points. I, you have, 
you have yours and I think they all, they, they mesh together well, but it's just emphases I, I try to zero in that maybe aren't as emphasized in other places. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely aren't. What about those aspects? Uh, um, I mean, cause they are extremely important and it's, it's the foundation for our salvation, right? That Jesus died and he atoned and, and all that. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, the, the, the book of Romans is clear on the sort of substitutionary death of Christ and, and, and what he has accomplished. Uh, and and then the, the resurrection is so central. But uh, one of the interesting things is we talk about redemption accomplished and applied. Mm-hmm. And um, people have, have argued in the past, Reformed theologians, for example, that Jesus, um, there's a sort of means for procuring our salvation is his his, his life on earth, his death, his resurrection, but the application of our salvation is actually attributed to his intercession in heaven right now. So that if Jesus even says your name to the Father once, you're as good as glorified. And uh, that's sort of um, how I like to, to, to always be bringing it back to the complete picture rather than the partial picture. And I believe that's what the scriptures do. You know, when you get to Romans 8, 32, and, and so it's, it's, it's about the intercession as well. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't just stop at a certain point in, in chapter 3 or 4 or 5, right? It, it continues that thread. Wow. Uh, it's, so, it's so good because it's, it, it helps me to f- flesh out, uh, you know, it's, it's always just better to have, a, obviously, a more well-rounded understanding of, uh, of the importance of, especially, you know, just more, more ammunition and more, more reasons to glorify the Lord. Mm-hmm. So if, if, uh, if you find your emphasis so much, uh, in, in these areas, the, the call, the call to repent, the call to, to trust in Christ, is there, is there, does it change that language at all for you? Would you say? It's, there's that call. I mean, I, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I had to, when I became a Christian, re- repent. I had to acknowledge my sins. And, you know, you see that clearly in apostolic preaching of the cross and repentance and, and stuff. But we have to be also remember that a lot of times, you know, what we get in terms of a, a, a core message is not the full message, um, you know, when you see in scriptures. So um, it's, it's also the, the repentance, but also then, you know, why should I feel bad? You know, what, why should I feel bad about my sins? It's, it's not just that I sinned against God, that there's this legal issue, but there's also the fact that my sins placed an innocent person uh, on a cross and that he did this willingly, not against his will, but he did it um, willingly on our behalf, knowing full well our sins. And so there, there, you know, we, we read about how Paul says the love of Christ constrains us because we're convinced one died for all, therefore all died and that we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him. And so it's this idea that the, the cross is again, coming back to the point living and that why I shouldn't sin and why I should be sorry for my sin is, is because of the person I now love and the person who loves me. So it's a little bit different, I think, for Christians in terms of our ongoing repentance as it is for an evangelistic um, crushing, um, <laughs> you know, of, of, of the soul together. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I know you have a great breakdown of the beatific. Is that the right way to say it? Yeah. Blessed. Uh, blessed vision is another way. Blessed of, vision. How we see Christ. So you can go to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, um, and chapter 4, verse 5. And uh, other places in, in 1 John chapter 2, you know, we shall see him and we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. So when, when Jesus comes back, we're going to, we will see him and it, it's going to dramatically change us. It will be instant that the vision of him, because we are in Christ and we are possessed by Christ and have the spirit dwelling in us so that our resurrection bodies, the ground for our transformation is the vision of Christ. Um, It's not just that God has power, but that he mediates his power through Christ and that the sight of Christ actually becomes the the ground for why we're transformed into his image. Mm. It was tied into sanctification, not just glorification. So sanctification to the degree that we behold Christ in this life by faith, we will be transformed from one degree of glory to another from 2 Corinthians 3, uh, 18, and then 4, 5. Uh, And then it, it, it culminates where we see in 1 John 
2 and other places that when we actually see Christ with our eyes when he returns, that will be utterly transforming and we will be um, changed into his image. Uh, and so whether you see Christ by faith or by sight, it is, it is transforming and the one is a gradual transformation and the other is what is an utter or instant uh, transformation. So that's, and then, and then the reason we will not sin in heaven is not just because we're so holy is because when our eyes are on Jesus, we don't sin. Uh, and so we will always behold him uh, constantly in one sense in heaven as we live our eternal existence. Wow. So good. Hey, let's take a break. And I got some voicemails. So if you can stick around. Yeah, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back. One more week of this lonely, lonely ad spot just waiting to be purchased. Go back and listen to the beginning of the show. That a pretty funny ad about missional wear and Santa Claus abandoning you. It's pretty good. That's the kind of wit that I can contribute to your brand. But nobody's bought it yet. So I'm going to tell you about my movies once again. My name is Les Lanfear. I am a filmmaker. I made a movie called Calvinist about the resurgence of Reformed theology. It's a fun movie. And I really would appreciate it if you went and uh, purchased that and watched it. And uh, I also made another movie. It's called Spirit and Truth, and it's about worship. Why do we worship God, uh, and does God care how we approach him in worship? You know, so it talks about, you know, rock bands and laser light shows and uh, all the, you know, crazy things like at the movies uh, series that, that churches do. If that stuff kind of bothers you, but you're not really sure why, Spirit and Truth is the movie for you. Go to CalvinistMovie.com or SpiritAndTruthMovie.com and check those movies out. Somebody, 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 somebody buy this ad. Welcome back to Gospel Riot. I'm here with Mark Jones, and we're going to listen to some voicemails. Hey, this is a question from Mark Jones. Uh, my name is Andrew Jacobson, pastor in the PCA. My question is about Jesus' statement in Matthew twenty four thirty six. He speaks about the day or the hour that no one knows, and if the angels of heaven are the Son, but only the Father. In what sense are we to understand that statement and its relation to the knowledge of the Son? Thanks. Yeah, the the Jesus says that the no man knows the day or the hour, not even the Son. So so uh, what, what what can we say about that? Good question, uh, and, and I'm very happy to answer it because um, it, it's not. It's not. People will quickly answer. Well, he's speaking according to his human nature at that point. So I think we all know that, right? So yeah, he's he's speaking about his human nature. But the fact is, is that there was. If you look at the life of Christ, um, there's a sense in which he is. Uh, fully dependent, uh, and when I mean fully dependent, he's fully dependent as a true man upon the Father, and that extends to every aspect of his life. So as a true human being, he's finite. He doesn't have infinite knowledge. He cannot because it, the finite is not capable of the infinite, and therefore even now there are things that his human nature cannot access that his divine nature would be able to know and understand. And, and that's even in his glorified state. Uh, though I could say you know, a few things about that because his human nature now has vastly increased in terms of knowledge compared to what it was on earth. But to, to summarize my point is that the, the father only reveals to Christ what he needed to know. You know, he says, I only speak the words wow. the father has given to me. Uh, and he grows in wisdom and in knowledge and in favor with God and man. You see that in Luke 2.40 and 2.52. And um, so it's the, the concept that Jesus needs to learn, but also be a receptive Messiah. He needs to be a dependent Messiah. Uh, he needs to be one who only does the will of the Father. And at that point, the will of the Father wasn't to reveal to him the time of his coming. But then in the book of Revelation, which is really the words of Christ, in his glorified state, he now knows that because it's been revealed to him. So that's kind of the the, the short answer to that. I mean, that is Jesus in his glorified humanity in heaven currently. 
still has limitations to his knowledge, still has limitations to uh, various aspects of just, I mean, he's limited. He's a, he's a human being. And that extends yeah. on for all of eternity. Jesus took on this, this nature. Yeah, his true human nature is still a, a true human nature. However glorified it may be, it, it, you know, the, the, the humanity is not capable of knowing what the divinity knows and can do and all of that. I mean, there, there really is a distinction between human nature and, and divine nature, and, and that's true of Christ even now. Wow. All right, so let, let's do uh, another one. Hey, Les, it's Travis. Got a question about uh, the personal work of Christ. In the Apostles' Creed, tells us that uh, Jesus ascended into hell. What does that mean? What happened during the time that Jesus was in tomb? Thanks. All right. Thank you, Travis. So it still does kind of bother me. I know, you know, there's lots of arguments uh, for why we should keep it in the Apostles' Creed and why it's important for that historicity and all that. Um, but every time I, I hear it, and especially when my kids are reciting it with me in church, it just feels like, man, like, isn't it kind of giving an impression of something that, that isn't true? Um, but that's not even really his question. Maybe you can answer that part of it while you while you answer. But uh, I guess he's just asking, what is what does that mean? Yeah, that's the, this. I, I actually wrote a, I gave a paper in Dortrecht in Holland um, on this in terms of Calvin and his relationship to the uh broader reform tradition, specifically Westminster. And, and that was a key area of inquiry I looked at in terms of the descent of Christ. And, uh, you know, there's different ways of understanding it, but, you know, there, there were two particularly dominant ways that I, um, you know, looked at. And that is, you know, it's either his sufferings right. on the cross, and Calvin speaks of his sufferings on the cross, but Westminster takes the you know, there are some who will agree with Calvin on that, that there is a type of descent into hell on the cross, but they would say that the actual formal uh, meaning they would embrace based on the Westminster documents is that it's just merely his um, descent into the into the earth, into the tomb, into the grave, the pit. Um, and so their understanding descending into hell as a, as a sort of um, his death, his burial. Um, and that's how they look at it. So you have different views, you know, Ursinus, Calvin, the Westminster divines. Uh, there's not a monolithic reformed consensus mm -hmm. view in a sense on that, but different ways of understanding that phrase has, has, has typically been the, the, the way. But to, to clarify, Jesus didn't go to hell. No, not to like, you know, this place where there's, he goes and preaches to, um, you know, all of these, um, bad people and and declares his victory like, i mean there was a, a very prominent strain of that thinking in the early church and even mm -hmm. some uh today scholars would like to to, to think that but uh, yeah i'm not persuaded myself that he went anywhere except in his human nature he his body was in the tomb and his soul was with god the father and that dying thief and all of the other angels and saints made perfect in glory for those yeah uh, for that period but before he was raised again from the dead yeah it's i mean you mentioned the thief obviously jesus says today you will be with me in paradise um so paradise probably isn't hell yeah it doesn't make a whole lot of sense make a little trip uh, to hell and uh you know declare victory over the devil I, you know i think there was a declaration of victory but the declaration of victory is the resurrection and also in a sense his death on the cross was a victory uh, according to Hebrews too so right. um yeah no I, that's that's the general um consensus view is that there is no consensus view among the reform but there is a predominant <laughs> view that it's his burial that it's his oh okay so you're, you're saying that's the more predominant view wait so Am I? Is it wrong for me to think this way? Because this is this is the way that I'm convinced. I, I think that Calvin uh, in the Institutes he actually went through the the Apostles' Creed, right? Yeah. Um, and he basically takes the position that it's a reference to his suffering on the cross. He took hell in a sense, in 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 that way he was he was descending into hell. The minority uh, position. Yeah. Okay. So so that that's the position that that I that I. Well, I guess I don't have a position because I, in my mind, I think the Apostles' Creed was actually making an incorrect statement, and then we have defended it. Correct. What do you, What do you think about that position? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, it, the thing is, is that it's an app, it's an ecumenical creed, so to speak. Right. So, yeah. um, and it's been vigorously defended in, in, in a sense by people sure. like Calvin and, and others. So they don't want to get rid of it. They want it to, uh, maintain its place, but you are right about, you know, what are the original intention of the words and, and, and what is the reception and there's different schools of thought, right. On. Uh, even other phrases, right? Like as we grow in our knowledge of Christ's death and resurrection and, and all of these other truths, right? Even in the Trinity, um, are we allowed to attach a, a more fuller meaning uh, to the, the, the creed? So I think, you know, a lot of Reformed people would maintain we have to keep it, but our understanding has developed uh, rather than um, completely contradicted it um, would, would be probably how most would understand that. So I, I sympathize with what you're saying is that, Hey, you know, it's like right doctrine, wrong words, or, or um, like, or wrong doctrine, right words. It would be the flip side. Uh, you guys misunderstood it, but we'll take the words and go with it. Yeah. 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 That, that, uh, yeah that's how I feel. I feel like they actually thought Jesus went to hell and that's what they wrote. And then we're like, well, we want to keep this document around. So let's, let's figure out a way to make this theologically uh, accurate. Yeah, the, the the question is ascertaining, you know, the full intent of the the authorship of the the sure. apostle and and making sure that everyone was of that view, right? So you even mm-hmm. get that with later documents where they're they're consensus documents, and so it's not like everyone believed the exact same thing about the words, but they could attach their own meaning. So Daniel Featley at the Westminster Assembly said, "Let everyone uh, uh, understand it with their own sense." Huh. Uh, so that's quite common, actually, in, in theological discourse. Um, and there's also modern, like, Utrecht schools and um, uh, different ways of how we look at ancient words and attach our own meaning to it. Um, but that's a that's a whole other topic. Well, so you agree with me? Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll go with that. <laughs> no, <laughs> all right, <laughs> let's, let's do another one. Hey, Les, this is John in Mississippi. I was... Uh, going to ask if y'all could provide a nice little explanation of um, Jesus in his humanity, his dependence upon the Holy Spirit, and contrast the orthodox view of that with the uh, canonic error that you see in uh, some of the charismatic circles. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right. We're getting nerdy. I don't even know what a lot of these words mean anymore, uh, but I'm glad I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I mean, I mean, dependence upon the Holy Spirit. That's great, great question. Stuff I've thought about. Uh, I don't know what the canonic uh, error is in the Orthodox view. Uh, take it away, Mark Jones. Yes, the the there's different understandings of the canonic view. There's there's more sophisticated and less sophisticated views, and then there's also um, different understandings of the work of the Spirit on Christ. So. Uh, some people give a, an account where they're they're merely regurgitating the biblical evidence, which is there's a plethora of um, passages and sections and stuff where you you just have to affirm that Christ was powerfully indwelt by the Spirit. But the key question, actually, that very few ask uh, is what is the nature of the relationship between the two natures, divine and human? And one of the points that Owen made in his uh, treatise on this specific subject is that all um, relations or acts between the divine and human nature in Christ are voluntary, not necessary. So what he means by that is that there's no necessary sort of overcoming of the human nature by the divine nature so that the human nature loses its integrity. It's a voluntary relationship so that uh, the divine nature actually operates um, immediately by the spirit, but not immediately in terms of the son's divine nature upon the human. So everything that Christ did in terms of his miracles, his preaching, his death, his resurrection, etc., was done in the power of the Spirit as a dependent uh, being. And that comes back to my point earlier about how he was fully dependent. And the only way for him to be truly fully dependent is to be one who depends upon the Spirit to perform the work that he was given to do. So that's the kind of uh, a, a very brief understanding of that. Now, coming back to the charismatic 
or you know, certain views is that there's this idea that Jesus relinquished his divine nature in the sense that, okay, now he's, a, he's just a human being, but he's so powerfully indwelt by the spirit that he can do all of these things. And they want to kind of connect that to uh, our own life in a way, which we also do yeah. in a sense with our view, but they're trying to get to like, hey, he's not much different than us. We can do these things too, miracles, uh, etc. So um, the important thing is that we have to affirm that he did not relinquish his divine nature because he could not. The only thing we say is that the relationship between the two natures is voluntary and not, um, in a sense, necessary, whereby the human nature loses its integrity. What does it mean that he emptied himself uh, if he didn't give up? Uh, that divine nature. Yeah, if you go to Philippians two, you're, you're you know he did not consider equality with God something to be and, and there's you know grasped, but you could also even in an NIV sort of way say something to be exploited. He didn't mm. exploit or he didn't. Um, let me use a very crass term. He didn't cheat. You know he he could have um, cheated. You know when he's being tempted by the devil and he's hungry. Well, his divine nature could have could have provided for him in such a way that the hunger was only imagined. Right. And that's where you get into the docetic view that he seemed to be this way and that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, because it was a voluntary relation between the divine and human nature, his human nature really was at the crisis breaking point. So that angels who ministered to him after the temptation were really helping him. They weren't just pretending to help him. Uh, so the the emptying is is more of a l- relinquishing, freely relinquishing his prerogatives as the divine son of God to um, depend upon the will of the Father in all things, and the will of the Father was to be uh, seen in his dependence on the Spirit as the Messiah. Wow! And that's precisely who the Messiah is—the right? man of the Spirit. That this you're giving me a flashback to when I in my first year of being a Christian, I would uh, I remember being at like a diner somewhere and talking with these other these other Christians, and I kept referring to Jesus as um, as a human with cheat codes. Uh, you know, he had all the cheat codes put in. So, uh, so he you know he didn't actually. And yeah, I, I was I was just you know teaching heresy. No big deal. You were heresy. Yeah, great. Well, there's yeah. about a million of you around that we need to, to deal with, <laughs> not by burning uh, or by the sword, but, you know, probably some more humane ways, like making them look at Twitter all day long or something. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and we'll we'll save burning as a backup plan. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's do, I think we can do one more. And uh, yeah, this one, I can already look at the transcript. Now we are full nerdy. Hey, this is Trey Beardman. Uh, so, divine simplicity and the doctrine of Christ. My question is, how does divine simplicity help to guard against EFS or ESS? Thanks. Godspeed. So, this is really good because, in this case, it would be a picture of Chris Pratt saying, I don't know what EFF means, and at this point, I'm afraid to ask. Uh, because every. Everybody talks about it all the time, and uh, well, not maybe not all the time, but I see it thrown around a lot, and I, I kind of get the idea. There's this uh, f- functional subordination of the sun, and um, but I don't really know what the terms are. So if if you could explain some of this stuff to me and why it's important, that'd be great. And they're asking specifically why the doctrine of divine simplicity, man, there's so many things to explain. Um, how that guards against uh, EFF or DFF, I think was the other thing they said. Yeah, well, there's there's ESS and EFS. Okay. The terms I eternal, eternal subordination of the or eternal functional subordination. Okay, and are, are either of those views correct? No, they're they're completely wrong. Both um, are wrong and, and massively wrong. Um, and and so if the way you would basically whoever's asking the question is is basically knows the answer. It's sort of like C.S. Lewis never asked a question that he didn't know the answer to. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I, that's my impression, and he's. I'm glad he asked it because uh, when you understand the doctrine of divine simplicity, for example, it means that the in terms of the three persons, they share one essence and one will between them. So to even talk about the language of subordination among the three persons is improper because you cannot have the subordination of 
the will of the Son to the will of the Father without then venturing into the territory of multiple wills in God, which would then uh, ruin divine simplicity. So what happened in a recent publication um, edited by Bruce Ware and John Stark is Karl Planch, I believe, in, in one of the introductory chapters or the introduction, talked about how um, Bruce Ware was making a conscious and informed decision to um, relate um, will as a property of a person rather than the nature, which uh, runs counter to Nicene Trinitarian thought and classical um, reformed orthodoxy, etc. So um, you can't just do that, right? Like you can't just go and say, well, we think God has three wills now because a, his will is synonymous with his essence, his power, his uh, every other attribute. So basically when you say three wills, you have to move into the territory of tritheism um, and there's three gods. So that's why um, it's impossible to say the son submitted to the father in eternity without positing multiple wills in the Godhead. And that makes two gods or three gods instead of one. So that's the, the short response. There's a more in-depth, uh, intricate response, but that's that, that would be my summary. But there is a concept of um, et- the eternally begotten son, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's, uh, that's not same thing as uh, the eternally submissive son. Um, you know, begottenness is not a synonymous term with submissiveness, right? Um, he is eternally uh, begotten of the Father, and the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, but there's no n- need to posit a subordination in terms of begottenness, because it's a, it's a, what is called in the Reformed scholastics, hyperphysica. It's, it's beyond physical. It's, it's an eternal begetting and there is no like moment in time where the son receives his divinity from the father but it's an it's an internal eternal ineffable begottenness so that the son absolutely shares the identical essence of the father and in no way has any lesser majesty or power or whatever attribute you want to posit of god and and that's not to say that um in the incarnation Jesus, I mean, he, there, there was a subordination to the Father uh, in, during his time Absolutely. on earth, right? Yeah. When you have two wills, as you do in Christ, who is fully God and fully man, you have two wills now. So his human will is, is absolutely subordinate to uh, the divine will and uh, not contradictory, but there is a subordination in the sense that it's the human will uh, obeying the divine will. And even now in eternity, there's a sense in which the we can talk about um, subordination of you know in terms of the human will is is still doing the will of of God the Father. Christ is still doing the will of God the Father. Um, but to say that this is eternal is, is is a massive misstep in our theological discourse. I think. Man, you always drive it as at eternity, and it always blows my mind every time you do it. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, well, Mark Jones, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Is there anything that you're, you're doing or you have going on that you'd like to let people know about? Uh, in terms of theology, is that what you're asking? Just anything. I mean, you know, you got, what do you got going on? Uh, well, I'm, I'm doing a number of things. I'm teaching a course for Greystone Theological Institute on um, Reformed Scholasticism. I've done four lectures and got four more coming up. And one of the lectures is actually on uh, the eternal subordination of the sun. That'll be coming up soon. And uh, that's part of a book I'm writing on uh, Reformed theology, sort of um, unmasking Reformed theology in a sense to the modern uh, times we live in. And there's also a book I'm doing with Moody Publishing called uh, Knowing Sin, which is a sort of companion to knowing Christ, but it's very heavily influenced by the Puritans. Uh, and a lot of Puritan works I've been uh, reading to, to look at s- different types of topics relating to sin. So it's not like most books on sin I find really boring and esoteric. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to make this very practical and something for the, the average Christian, but very deep in a sense where it, it, you know it's, it's Puritan-esque, um, so to speak. So now, those are the, the, the two sort of things that are they're cooking right now. And then I'm trying to help start a theological seminary in uh, Hout Bay, uh, Cape Town, South Africa. The buildings are, are going up and uh, the planning, uh, and it's a massive, massive project. Millions and millions of dollars have been pumped into this and, and going to be. And it's re- that's really exciting to make theological education a, 
um, affordable reality for um, Southern Africa. Praise God. That's awesome. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's exciting. And, uh, and I'm, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm watching the, the Simpsons with my um, youngest son uh, because it's uh, free on uh, Amazon Prime or something or Disney, one of them. Yeah, maybe Disney. Not Disney. Right. Are, so, you, are you going through the seasons? Like, are you just randomly watching yeah, episodes? Yeah. I don't want to get to the later ones. I hear they're just a little bit inappropriate. but They're, um, not, just, they're, they're not just inappropriate. They're also just awful and not entertaining. The show really uh, falls off. I don't know exactly which season it is, but whenever I watch yeah, an episode lately, it's, it's like... Someone could write to me without rebuking me about this whole thing and just let me know what season I need to stop. I'd really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to discover that for yourself. It's a waste of time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again. Uh, and you got so many great books out there. Uh, if you if you think Mark Jones sounds smart, he really is. Uh, so uh, give him a yeah, right. <laughs> Google search, buy some of his books. And hopefully, uh, we'll have you back again sometime if you're interested. Great. I'd love to. It's a great way to start my day. Excellent. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next time. Mm-hmm.